Loaded up. He's the world's deadliest villain. Let me press you. Sorry. He's ruthless. No speak Russian. Yet. And brilliant. Straight flush. Damn it! I'm going to turn Washington, D.C. into a pile of ash. He's known only as John. And until now, he's been unstoppable. What the world needs is a hero who's so top secret, we don't even know his full name. Hello, ML. Don't worry, this is just like Nicaragua. I got shot in Nicaragua. This is nothing like Nicaragua. My name is M.L. Elric. You asked in Iraq, you're trying to get out of my face. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified, M.L. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Once again, tremendous production on the intro. Uh, just one, one little uh, issue. Always. I, I thought the ML could have been a little deeper. That that uh, maybe more of a, a tenor, uh, if not a baritone. You do it next week. Well, I I just want it to be more accurate <laughs> and reflect. Uh, okay. Do I have to be the villain every intro? Val Kilmer, the Iceman. How can you not like Val? You don't want to be Val? Val Kilmer. Little, mm. Val Kilmer was, you know who uh, Val Kilmer's greatest cameo that people don't really know? Uh, the You do know it, too. Yeah, Entourage. No. What? Yeah, he played a dope dealer for 30 seconds with goats in some Beverly Hills I would mansion. say real genius. No, no, no. He was a star. He wasn't. That wasn't a cameo. Anybody else? Mm. Zach? No. Mike? He no. was Elvis in True Romance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he wanted to be Clarence. He wasn't cast, but they said, hey, how would you like to be Elvis? So all you see of Val Kilmer is his back in the gold lame jacket when he's <laughs> telling Clarence that he can go shoot Drexel, which is on the east side. Actually, it's in my district. Um, and he says, every, every pimp in the world gets shot two in the back of the head. Cops throw a fucking party, man. Drexel. Remember that? Yeah. I, I always liked you. I like you, Clarence. I always have. Always will. And he, and he gets the he gets the Elvis salute with the kind of the circle and the, I'm not doing it very well on Facebook Live here, but anyway, wasn't that Gary Oldham? Uh, he was Drexel. Drexel, yeah, yeah. White Boy Day. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. It doesn't appear on Hallmark calendars, but uh, but it, it was. I it, thought it was White Boy Day. Turns or something out it, like that. Turns out it wasn't. As a matter of fact. Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah, it was not. So, uh, And I think that was one of Quentin Tarantino's first uh, big screen plays, directed by Tony Scott, and the only. The only footage I think that was shot in Detroit was there was a shot maybe uh, uh, of a, an alley downtown, but they did have those classic Plymouth Fury Detroit cruisers with the uh, with uh, that distinctive logo that they don't put on the cops anymore driving by and the steam coming up from the uh, from the manhole covers. So anyway, uh, all of which is uh, nothing to do with our hundredth episode. As, oh, as you can tell, we've been doing this show. For a hundred, uh, hundred times, and each one is a voyage of discovery and misfortune. So uh, we are happy to be joined on this voyage by Mike Ratai, defense attorney to the stars. And uh, we will be introducing in a minute Zach Pashik, the entrepreneur who is building bikes in Detroit that are going out all over the world and maybe coming to your driveway soon. Before we get to the, uh, the real stars of the show... Uh, let me let me drag out the dregs. Uh, Mark Fellhauer is uh, co-pilot, uh, sitting on God's lap, and uh, producer. 
and uh, and he's just come from church. So, That's true. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, did you renounce Satan this time? Uh, every time, every day. Really? Okay. Did you mean it this time? <laughs> I yeah, sure. No, my daughter was doing a reading, so that so was you my didn't morning have to entertainment. Satan. No. Okay, so you're good with old so scratch. You're indoctrinating her at a young age. That's okay. nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, man in the sky. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Beelzebub Junior. <laughs> the old, the old yeah. stump on the log. Uh, well, it's like, it's like putting it's like putting your baby in a Michigan State onesie. You know, you don't give him a choice. <laughs> She'll have a choice when she's older. Uh, you know, it sometimes these things just work themselves out, and 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 I say that because uh, because our. Our special guest has his own uh, journey to Michigan State and back, Mr. Mike Ratai, who was prepared to graduate if he hadn't, I think, maybe ignited a dormitory or something like that what? when he was... Mike, Mike, uh, we got a statute of limitations on Mike's uh, career at Michigan State, so maybe we'll, we'll come back to that in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you a little something about Royal Brian Ford. Uh, we've been around 100 episodes, which we feel pretty proud of. They've been around for 75 years. And if you go to their website, which is royobrian.com, I'm going to get it right this time, R-O-Y-O-B-R-I-E-N.com. Jesse will pop up and help you figure out what kind of business do you want to do. Do you want to see what kind of cars they have on the lot? They've got new cars. They've got used cars. Do you want to figure out how to finance your car? Do you want to pay cash? Do you want to do some financing? Maybe Bitcoin, uh, perhaps some sand dollars. They'll do whatever they have to do to make a deal. And you also have Fast Track, which will help you choose your vehicle and your options. If you want to go in person, they're at the corner of Nine Mile and Mac in St. Clair Shores. They've been there for 75 years. They will help you pick out a ride that will make you as happy as my mom has been with her bright red Ford Focus wagon, which now has over 110,000 miles. It's still going strong. So is my mom. So I won't say anything about how she's also as old as Royal Brian. Oh, damn it. And Mother's Day was coming up. Okay. Well, anyways, my mom wants you to go to royalbryan.com, or you can give them a call at 888-566-5851, or you can do what my mom does. She says, I want to get St. Louis 6, 5851. Can you ring me through? <laughs> and they say, ma'am, we don't use operators anymore. And she says, that kid of mine, he's a rotten little bastard. But that, well, man, I'm trying to think if that's accurate. Anyway, um, mom, uh, Hope you're not listening. Uh, everybody else go to Royal Brian Ford immediately. I guess mom do knows best. And, uh, and with that, we go to uh, Counselor to the Stars, Mr. Michael Rattai Esquire. Um, if you've listened to this show for 100 episodes, you probably are familiar with our conversation with Daniel Ferguson III, who's the cousin of Bobby Ferguson. That was one of my personal favorite episodes. Uh, somehow we fit him into the basement here before the, before the plague hit, and uh, it's a great episode if you want to look it up. But we've talked throughout the years about the Kwame Kilpatrick situation, Bobby Ferguson, and after Mr. Kilpatrick was granted clemency by President Trump, we had Mike on to talk about Bobby Ferguson because it seemed to us that when Kilpatrick got a longer sentence than Ferguson... The natural question is, does Bobby get out next? And I think it doesn't, it doesn't uh, uh, contradict logic to say that, in the end, Bobby got a harsher sentence than Kilpatrick because he served more time, and he was on track to serve almost two or three times more than the mayor. But our next guest got cracking, and Bobby got walking, and now he's breathing free air. So, Mike, tell us how you sprung the big Bob. 
Hey, well, I, I guess I'll start from the beginning. Uh, you just that mentioned was Genesis. It. Well, I mean, you mentioned it. Kilpatrick gets commuted, right, by Trump. And um, so I was reading some, you know, we've all been keeping track of these um, compassionate release cases and, um, and the orders here by our judges in the Eastern District of Michigan. And I was reading a couple of Sixth Circuit cases and that came out at the end of 2020 and at the beginning of this year. And I, it was about nine o'clock at night and I jumped off the couch and I called Gerald Evelyn and I said, Gerald, we got a pathway uh, to get Bobby out. And it was just, you know, it was literally within a week or two weeks after whatever it was, after Kilpatrick, was, his sentence was commuted. And basically, not to get too deep in the weeds, the legal weeds, um, the Sixth Circuit, sort of the law and compassionate release has sort of morphed over the last year. And the Sixth Circuit came down with a couple of opinions that basically said, in short, that the judges now can determine what constitutes extraordinary and compelling reasons for compassionate release. So it wasn't just limited to uh, medical um, situations that inmates might find themselves in, etc. So Gerald says, write the brief. So <clears throat> we got cracking at it. We wrote the brief. I sent it over to my colleagues, Gerald Evelyn and Rob Higby, and um, we put some, uh, some final touches on it, and we let it rip, and we filed it. And, uh, of course, the government came back with a bullshit fucking over-the-top response. And we can talk about that later. Yeah, what, what was the response? Is that the Latin? <laughs> is that, is well, that I mean, what they you call know, in law school? The, the, what, what the government has done, it, they've done a couple. All their, all their responses to compassionate release motions have been, have basically a couple of different themes. One, they rehash the case. Uh, you know, and 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 they vilify uh, uh, the defendant, and then they minimize the um, the the uh, the uh, inmates uh, or petitioners' medical condition. Well, in this case, and and I've done a few of these over the last year, won some, lost some, uh, but um, this response was so fucking over the top in terms of its. Uh, venomous and vitriolic tone um, that it, I, Gerald and I got a phone call from uh, someone high up in the U.S. Attorney's Office apologizing for the response. Wow. And so I said to him, well, then pull the fucking thing, you know. And, well, we can't do that. Well, I says, you know, whatever. So uh, we kept a low profile, as you know, ML. And, um, and, uh, then we filed our reply, and and there you go. Judge Edmonds granted our motion, so here we are. Was there one thing in particular in that response that really pissed you off? There's a the one whole th fucking thing. Yeah. Okay, because, I mean, it was a That's rehash of the case. I mean, the guy had already been punished, okay? And the judge is supposed to look at that person as they stand before them today, not where they, you know, stood back in October of 2013 when Bobby was first, when he was sentenced, eh? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, you know, and it was just a disingenuous piece of garbage that was filed by this one U.S. attorney whose name will remain, you know, um, she'll remain nameless. 
but there's a couple of them on there. I, I could, there was another one whose fingerprints were all over it. Her, her name will remain, uh, uh, she will remain nameless, but, um, I knew, you know, I, I knew what was going on here. And, um, the AUSA that had called us, um, apologizing to us for it, you know, it was like, well, didn't you know this shit was coming out? Mm. You know, I mean, what are you apologizing to us for? You should have been taking care of business before the thing even hit the fucking uh, hit pacer. So anyways, well, it is what it, you know, it was what it was. It is what it is. And um, judge Edmonds obviously ignored it. And uh, she bought our arguments and um, he's out. Yeah. She seemed, um, I mean, from where we sit that it happened fairly quickly. Did you, you must've had a good feeling after the hearing, like, Oh, she gets it. She understands. Well, uh, we did not have a hearing. Oh, okay. Uh, the judge decided it on the briefs. And quite frankly, a lot of the judges in the Eastern District, our federal judges over here, will decide the compassionate release motions without argument. I've won two of them without argument. Um, as a matter of fact, one of my guys, the day after the government filed the response, I hadn't even started a reply and we were getting an order letting him out. So... Um, it's not unusual over here in our district for the judges not to give uh, the lawyers um, oral argument. And quite frankly, there's no reason for it. You know, everything you have to say should be in your papers. And uh, in our case, they were. And so there was no need for it. But Judge Edmonds had decided right out of the gate. Um, the day after, as a matter of fact, that we filed our, our, our initial salvo, our initial motion, um, she she ordered that she was going to decide it on the briefs. So, Mike, now, do you, do were you we think- to read anything into that? No, no. Uh, that's just the way she's been doing it. So, Mike, have you heard anything about how Judge Edmonds felt about the length of the sentence that he, she gave to Kilpatrick and Ferguson? No, no, ML. Um, I've never had that conversation with her. Uh, I was at a couple of functions over the last, you know, over the past eight years with a good judge. And, and uh, I can remember we were at Miriam Seifer's retirement party at the book Cadillac when she was, um, you know, she was, she ran the federal defender's office and she retired. And so they had a little soiree for her and judge. And it was at the time when, when the rumblings about Kilpatrick getting a pardon or a commutation from Trump, before way before it even happened it was the first time that we heard that i guess a couple of state reps and some other folks were petitioning trump and 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 it was reported that he was getting out you know and of course we know he didn't at that time um and she approached me and she says so what do you think um you think that Kilpatrick's gonna get out and i just i, I didn't know what to say i kind of took took me aback you know and I certainly wasn't going to debate with a federal judge there at a function like that. You know, Jesus Christ, judge, you gave him too long of fucking sentences and all that stuff. That would that would have been inappropriate. And I, I really didn't know what to say to her other than, well, geez, judge, you're a Republican. You know uh, what's going on in the Republican circles better than I do. So I have no idea, you know, and I kind of the conversation made me a little uncomfortable. And um, but, you know. I just sort of try to deflect the conversation away from it. And so to answer your question, no, I never had that conversation with her. And no, I don't know what her feelings were about the length of the sentence. Clearly, uh, it was part of the argument that we advanced 
uh, in our papers, and I did cite the statistics from the United States Sentencing Commission from just 2019, uh, where the average sentence for bribery and extortion was, was 32 months. And as a matter of fact, the average sentence, if, and I'm going off of memory now, but I believe the average sentence for child pornography was 109 months, and Bobby got 252 months, which was only three months shy of the average sentence for a murder in the federal system. So, so uh, I'm going with there a was no, no on secret that, one. that that was one of the arguments that we made. Well, taking that all into account, and you also argued about you know COVID nineteen, hypertension, high cholesterol. Yeah, you know. I mean, yeah, the the but, medical condition, but, and then of course the primary argument uh, was basically the sentencing disparity that was created by Trump's commutation of Kilpatrick's sentence. Do you, do you and, feel, um, would he have been released if Kilpatrick was not uh, out? Well, there wouldn't have been a sentencing disparity at that point. Yeah, I know, but based on all the other things that you argued, like the well, hypertension, you know, cholesterol, um, model prison. I, I would have to say probably not. Yeah. And that's just a guess, an educated guess. But I, I think that the, 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 uh, the fact that Kilpatrick was out and Bobby was still in, and Kilpatrick got 28 years and Bobby got 21 years. I, you know, if you read the judge's opinion, that was quite frankly, the, um, the centerpiece of her opinion. How's he doing? How's Bobby doing? He's doing well. Uh, he's got a quarantine for 14 days. I've talked to him uh, multiple times as his, uh, Gerald Evelyn and Rob Higby and, and, um, and basically, you know, um, he's, he, he's had five grandkids uh, born while during the past eight years. And, um, um, you know, he's got five kids and, um, he's got you a know, new wife. So he's got a quarantine for 14 days since last Thursday. And so we haven't seen him, but we've talked to him and I'm just letting him chill and, you know, decompress as I said, as I've said before, mm-hmm. and just let him get his bearings and we'll have chance to get together and talk and uh, and and see where we go from here. But he's on supervised release uh, for three years, I believe it is, and um, which is standard. And um, and so you know, the bottom line is, is that no matter the fact, he's broke and um, he doesn't really have a way to make a living now, and he's a convicted felon. Um, it's going to take some time for him to get his self together. He's got restitution as well. Figure out what he's going to do. Yeah. Uh, has he reconnected with Kilpatrick at all? Do you know? Um, have they talked? I don't know that. I don't know that at all. I, you know, I didn't even ask him quite frankly, when I spoke with him. Well, now that it doesn't involve a collect call, we'd love to have him on whenever he's available. Just, <laughs> just let him know. Well, okay. you, ML, you know, Bobby, we'll send a car for him. Bobby's not one to speak to the press, you know, and, uh, everybody and and her brother wants to talk to him, but like I keep telling people, you, I mean, you know, you know, his MO, Bobby, Bobby's not one to, you know, to talk. And that's why he's got lawyers that uh, do his talking for him. Um, but who knows, maybe he's got a change of heart, but I haven't asked him that. We haven't discussed it. Obviously, I just wanted him to to enjoy the fresh air, sleep in his own bed, enjoy his family, eat some decent food, and then we'll 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 talk about other things uh, once he gets out of quarantine. Has he expressed uh, 
any remorse, any gratitude for a second chance? Does he still maintain that he did nothing wrong? I mean, what's his attitude about what got him locked up and where he goes now that he's been given this freedom that I think uh, most people didn't see coming before the pandemic and before the, the clemency given to, to uh, Mayor Kilpatrick? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, yes, he's, uh, he's remorseful. And, you know, he took advantage of every possible course that you could take uh, while he was incarcerated. He also uh, mentored other inmates and received certificates for that. And so, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I've never heard Bobby say publicly that he didn't do anything wrong <clears throat> or himself that came out of his mouth. Um, but I mean, you spend eight years in prison and you get out, you're, you're certainly humbled and you're thankful. And, um, you know, Bobby, like I said before, it's not the first time I've said it, Bobby's a spiritual guy. I mean, during the past eight years, he's, uh, I've communicated with him via core links, which is a way for us to email, uh, our clients that are doing time in the federal system. And at least twice a week, he's, he's always sending me Bible verses and making sure I'm good with God and all that good stuff. And, um, you know, so, um, well, I'm not going to sit there and say he's pounding his chest and saying, yeah, I should have got out. And I, sh you know, I shouldn't have got that long of a sentence. He's never said that. Uh, he's grateful and he's humbled by judge Edmonds, uh, decision to let him out. And that's about as far as I can take it right now. Cause we really just haven't gotten into it that far. Sure. And, and Bobby did during the trial always have uh, scripture with him and, uh, was, uh, you know, you, you wonder how somebody can sit there for six months and just be hammered on by the full force of the government and, and, and you know, and be front page news for six months. And Bobby always maintained a very steady um, demeanor, and you could tell that he was leaning on, on his faith a lot through that. But the reason why I ask about remorse is when we saw uh, Mayor Kilpatrick's request of President Trump to get out, he basically said all I did wrong was get picked on by the media and, and piss off powerful people and say that I'm like you, President Trump. I'm trying to do great things and people don't appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we don't know what correspondence Bobby was sending out. Uh, we don't know whether he and Kilpatrick were in contact throughout the, the time that they were both incarcerated. But, um, but you know, I, I don't know if, if Bobby's you position, were, too, is, you know, like, I didn't do nothing wrong. Just let me the hell out of here. Well, you know... That, that's an interesting story, ML. Uh, first of all, Bobby did not write uh, uh, Trump, okay? And um, the story that I have on good information is, you know, Kilpatrick's a savvy guy, okay? You know that, okay? You, you covered him, and he's no dummy. And um, he played right into Trump's narcissism, Okay. He wrote him a letter saying, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're the greatest president since George Washington. Um, you, you know, I'm, you know, I mean, he played right into Trump's uh, narcissistic tendencies. Okay. And that's all it took. Yeah. That's yeah. all it took. Well, he, he blew told, smoke up his fucking ass. He, he told know, the man I mean, what he wanted to hear, but it still didn't work. From what I understand, as, as persuasive as that letter may have seemed to the president, in, in the end, it was some billionaires making some phone calls that got the mayor sprung. And it just, you know, it's just kind of a shame that... Um, I think it was a combo, okay. to be honest with you. 
uh, from what I heard. But uh, I, I don't. I think that letter had more uh, persuasive uh, power than Carmanas did. Okay. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Now, uh, I think one thing people wonder, you know, we, we see when people are charged or when people are accused of multiple counts, and certainly in sentencing, the feds can throw at a defendant things that they didn't bring charges on. Is there anything lingering that somebody could come back on Bobby with? You know, if, if they were so hot to keep him locked up, do you think the feds have something in their back pocket? And and one of the things people probably don't know is that after the RICO trial, there was another trial where Ferguson faced some charges that had nothing to do with the big public corruption trial, uh, and you represented him in that too. So can you tell us how that went down and whether Bobby needs to worry about some feds sitting there with a charge that hasn't hit the statute of limitations in their pockets saying, hey, enjoy the fresh air, Bob, but we're coming for you again, brother. Yeah, that's a good question, ML. Well, to answer that one first, there, no, there's nothing out there. They can't bring Jack up against him. They got nothing left. So he's clear, period. Okay. okay. And, and tell us about uh, that charge that uh, after I think all of us figured, you know, th- there's no point in putting any more bolts in a corpse. The feds take him back to trial again. And, yeah. And you got to get back a, in well, the saddle. That was interesting because, um, and you and I have talked about this before. Um, that, the, the Garden View case, as you remember, um, preceded the RICO case. And I was trying the Hattari Militia case. That was the hung case. jury where the juror, uh, who may not have been as candid as she should have been, uh, refused to convict. Or was that the Sam Riddle case? Yeah, yeah I wasn't involved in that okay. trial because I was trying the Hattari case at that time. Got out of the Hattari case, uh, was uh, recruited to uh, be on the Ferguson Club, the team. And, um, and so we did the Rico case. And then of course, um, my dear friend and mentor and big brother, Gerald Evelyn, um, needed to take a rest. Um, he was off, he was tired and, um, had been just through the ringer, um, with all, both of those trials and they had both lasted a long time and he had to deal with some other uh, issues, other, his other clients and everything. So I took the lead on the what was Garden View 2, which was the hung jury case that you just alluded to, which also included some counts of uh, uh, against Ferguson uh, being a felon in possession of, of guns, which we call in the federal system a 922G. There was a couple of them. And those guns were found in a safe when the uh, feds executed the search warrant at Ferguson's uh, offices. And so... We're getting ready. To, we're 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 going. We're moving ahead with that one, and that was right on the heels of the RICO case. And I filed a motion to change venue, and um, Judge Lawson had the case, and Judge Lawson denied that. And uh, so we we plowed ahead. And uh, the uh, AUSA who had the case, a great guy named Bruce Judge, who has left the office now and is working in Boston. And um, he says, I'm going to get rid of all the this Garden View thing. Let's just try the gun case. And I said, that's great, Bruce. No problem. So so all we had to deal with was these these uh, felon in possession charges in the, you know, in the federal system. And um, once we got going with the case, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. And um, the jury came back in really a really short period of time 
which was a testament to the jurors uh, because really you had to be living in a cave if you didn't know about Bobby Ferguson and Kwame Kilpatrick. And, um, you know, they, they listened to the evidence and they realized that the feds uh, couldn't prove their case and they found Bobby not, get, not guilty of those gun charges. And um, I submit to you that if he would have been found guilty, um, the whole dynamic of where we are today would be a lot different uh, because that sentence would have been run consecutive. And for you, when you're asking for compassionate release based on the sentencing disparity created by Trump's commutation of Kilpatrick, that would not have carried over to his gun charges. So um, it was, a you know, at the time it didn't seem like such a big deal that we won the case because we knew he was going to get substantial time from Judge Edmonds. We didn't know it was going to be that long. But um, bottom line is that um, we're glad that we won because, like I said, it would have changed the whole dynamics of where we are today. No, I, I remember after the RICO trial, everybody was exhausted. The prosecution didn't want to try Bobby again. I don't think the defense team was eager to go back into court and mess around on more charges against Bobby. I think the media barely covered the case because everybody figured folks are sick to death of Kilpatrick and Ferguson yeah. by then. And yeah. in the end, you got a good outcome. And it turns out this case was sort of like, oh, God, let's, let's just get this over with. Turned yeah. out to be a, a pretty big deal. Now, uh, I, I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to get too much into anybody's personal finances, but we, we know Ferguson still has the restitution payment hanging over him. You've said that he doesn't have any more money. Um, we know that, that stacks of cash were taken out of safes at his offices and other properties. Uh, so who pays your bill um, for all this? Is this Are you, a, uh, are you court appointed or is this... Uh, on the compassionate release aspect of this whole thing that we just did? Right. That was all pro bono. Okay. Okay, so there's yeah. still an opportunity to make a campaign contribution then. <laughs> yeah. If, you mean to UML? Yeah, no, of course. No, it's, it's just in general. I just was kind of curious <laughs> yeah. if you're going to remain active in no, local I politics. Told, but, hey, listen, you know I'm going to support you. Okay. Um, and actually, Bobby, Bobby did pay for his defense during the whole trial, didn't he? Bobby, I think, was the only defendant who didn't have a uh, court-appointed attorney, wasn't he? Uh, let me think. Let me think. I think Shea think. was court appointed for Bernard, and of course Jim Thomas and his team were court appointed for Kilpatrick. But I think Bobby was did not have a court appointment. Yeah, you know, uh, you're right. Uh, we were retained, but I can tell you, uh, I know serious uh, discount with the, with the time <laughs> that we put into that case. <laughs> we got paid pennies, bro. Yeah, no, by the hour, these gigs uh, are not as lucrative as they might sound when you see... Uh, well, we would have made more money if we were appointed. I'm on the federal panel. Yeah. I mean, if I was, I mean, if we would have been appointed on that case, um, of course, I was the only lawyer on our team that is on the federal panel because uh, at the time, Rob Higby uh, had not finished law school and he wasn't on the panel and Gerald's not on the federal panel. So I would have been the only one on the federal panel that would have been eligible to represent him. But the money that we received from Ferguson uh, for all the time and effort that we put into the case, uh, we got paid clearly out of all the lawyers, we got paid the least. Sure. But I think, I think people just should know because we hear a lot of complaints about uh, court appointed attorneys that Bobby might be broke. Now he may owe a gang of money on restitution 
But he was the one defendant who uh, did not turn to the taxpayers for support in uh, in fighting these federal charges. So I think we we should make sure the record's clear on that. Yeah, and that that's that's very true, ML. Very yeah. true. And if it does affect the ability to make campaign contributions, maybe you want to try and recoup some of that uh, <laughs> that pro bono work. You. <laughs> Always goes back to that, doesn't you're, it? You're just, so shameless. You're shameless, ML. Yeah. Absolutely fucking shameless. That's okay. what it's like on the other side, man. <laughs> the, the first thing to go is the dignity. So, uh, all right, Mike. Well, it's great to have you on. And, uh, of course, uh, we appreciate your work on behalf of not just people who are facing uh, some pretty dire charges, but your work on behalf of the kids at Clark Park and raising money for kids in Detroit because... Uh, He's uh, there's a few f bombs in there, but he's got a very he's got a very angelic heart. So Mike Ratai, criminal defense attorney extraordinaire, thanks for joining us on our 100th episode of The Soul of Detroit. Please have me back, ML. Love you guys. Thanks, thanks a lot. Appreciate you. Love talking to that guy, man. Were you surprised? Were you surprised Ferguson got out? Um. I'm always surprised when something that I think should happen happens, uh, but uh, but I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that if, uh, it, you know, frankly, uh, whatever you think of the Kilpatrick commutation, it just didn't seem right yeah. to leave someone who got less time locked up. They were tried together, correct? They were tried together, as was uh, the mayor's father. And so, um, so you know, the cases are inextricable. And as Mike said, the other charge that was out there against Bobby, one of the things people don't understand is that if you're convicted of five different counts and you get different sentences, they run concurrently, which means at the same time. But if you're convicted of a separate matter, they run consecutively, which means if you got 21 years and he'd gotten, say, five years on the gun charges, he effectively would have had 26 years in federal prison he would have had to serve. And there's a 15% good time discount, which you don't get at the state level, not that we need to get into all those vagaries. But when you get state time, you're supposed to do every minute. When you get federal time, you can get a little bit of a discount. But if you give me 15% off of a 26-year sentence, I'm not really feeling like that's much of a break. Huh. Well, you know what is criminal? Having a bad head of hair. Oh. What a terrible segue. It's uh, time to get back into your normal routine. Let Lady Janes, they're going to help you look and feel just like a king. They got a new one in Grand Blanc on Saginaw Road, just south of Hill Road next to AutoZone. You can let one of their talented stylists give you an award-winning haircut, invigorating shampoo, hot lather neck shave, the whole treatment, including the hot towel, for just 16 bucks. Don't procrastinate. Keep your hair looking its best. Get to Lady Janes Haircuts for Men today. You can check out all their locations right online at LadyJanes.com. It is a great haircut at a great price. And if you're looking to save some money, maybe uh, so you can get your haircut twice as much just because, yeah, you know, you want to you wanna look your best. But, uh, but that's, a, that's a very pleasant place to spend some, some time, I understand. We got a couple other folks who can help you save some money. First, I'm going to tell you about David Hall, and then Mark's going to tell you about our good friend Luke Nowacki. Hall Financial will help you save money every single month that you do business with them. Rates are still in the 2% range, so call today and find out how much a refi can save you. You're going to save money when you refi because you're going to get to skip a couple payments as the paperwork processes. And then every month when you get that bill from the mortgage company, you're going to find out it's lower than what you've been paying. So click the link on our website to get started or call 248-308-5000. That's 248 248- Three zero eight five thousand, and make sure you let David know that ML sent you. NMLS one four six seven four three five. 
All right. What about the lucre? What's he? Oh, you want to do them all right now? Yeah, you know, let's get everybody on Facebook Live. I'll tell you why. Because I think if you watch us on Facebook Live, you get the most of the show, but you miss some of the other great things like our music segment. You miss some of the great rises. It was Sean. uh, You know, we release the Kraken. Um, (laughs) We uh, slow build. We give you your uh, feedback. You know, we engage a little bit more with the audience, and and you only get that from the full audio download. Sometimes our sponsors end up in the back end of the show, which some people may think is the best part of the show, mainly because it's basically Sean's coming out party. But I, I want to make sure that everyone who's made it possible for us to be on the air for 100 episodes Good point. gets all the exposure they possibly can because truly we are not here without our without the sponsors. And, and we don't just take money from anybody. We only do business with people. We feel confident encouraging you to do business with. I've done a couple houses with uh, with uh, David Hall, uh, Luke Candles, uh, uh, I think uh, some money for Drew and for Charlie, and uh, they're comfortable. Mark gets his hair cut at Lady Jane's. I go to Roy O'Brien, and I drink Altus beer and a couple other things that we have on the show. So uh, so we're here uh, in part because of them, and we should show appreciation because we want to do another 100 shows. Well, the aforementioned Luke Nowacki, he's at Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. He's going to give you rational financial advice. He's going to give you that strategy so you can be a long-term investor, stocks, bonds, 401ks, 529s, all that stuff that might be over your head. Get advice, get a strategy. Call Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. He? Well, the thing about Luke is he's got a... He's going to build a relationship on trust. Why do I do do that, Sean? And that relationship is always going to be all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRASIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names. Products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Yeah. Don't pause around. Our I know, I know. No, I was just lulled into a, a sense of, of security and contentment by all the things Luke can do for you. And so you felt you had to speak on it. <laughs> no, I just, we have a little thing where we set, we set it up. But we want to introduce a new partner, uh, a guy who's also got a little Detroit soul in him and is making good things happen in our city. That's Jack pa- uh, Zach Pashik of Detroit Bikes. And he is here with this music that we just had commissioned for us. This is a uh, this is a Soul of Detroit exclusive music bed created by Max Prokop, the bass player for the Smiths United and the frontman for the Kings English and Shasta Fox. This is only heard here. Does it have a title? Uh, I think it's called Super Groovy Shit. I'm not sure. We're still working on that. That's uh, if you want to if you want to name it, we can have a. There's a sponsorship opportunity. <laughs> Why is but, everything? Everything's always about money, Sean. But Zach is here to talk about like how that. he's brought bike building back to America, back to Detroit, and about a special little collaboration that we are unveiling to commemorate our 100th episode. And here comes the horns. No, there they go. Damn it. <laughs> Sounds like you really know the song. I- I'm going to have to talk to Max about that. <laughs> so, Zach, welcome. Thanks. So uh, you and I uh, have been talking about the cool things you're doing over at Detroit Bikes, and I uh, I took a tour there a little while ago, and it's a really, really cool shop. But sometime late last year, I said, hey, would you be interested in doing a solo Detroit bike? Because you've done Fago bikes, Detroit City Football Club bikes. You do some special bikes for, for local celebrities and athletes. I don't know if we can talk about that or not. Sure. But you've done a, a, a Motown-themed bike. I mean... It's a business, but it's a business that has a lot of soul. It has a lot of a lot of flavor to it, and it's a really, a really cool thing to have right here 
in Detroit. So Zach, tell us a little bit about Detroit bikes and then, uh, and then talk about, uh, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of mess we're getting into together. We got to do an Alta spike. That's kind of that's kind of Ooh. a great sponsor of yours. That and the colors are great too. They're sort of uh, they're sort of like a, a burgundy and gold. That'd be a good fit. Like a soccer team around here. Oh yeah. We could do a similar. Uh, yeah, we could rebadge it. And then of course, instead of having a bottle holder, you mm. can have a can holder. Don't you own that team now? Who <laughs> DCFC? Yeah. Actually, I have five shares. Okay, five. No voting okay. rights. But. I think I got about five shares. Yeah, Whoa. I think when they re when they recapitalized, it was uh, not five percent. There five you go, shares. Mark. No, you're five, a, yeah, five, always about money. five shares. You okay, Mark? Right. Yeah. You're yeah. in a basement with two people that like soccer. Are you okay? They, they yeah, do not, I love it. They do not consult with me on any personnel decisions. There's, yeah. you know, nor, nor do they consult with me. No. But yeah, so Detroit Bikes started in uh, 2011. We bought a factory in 2012 over on the far west side of the city, and then we built our first bike in 2013. And, you know, kind of off to the races since then, some highs, some lows. We did 3,000 bikes for the Brooklyn expansion of the New York City Bike Share Program, which was a pretty cool thing. We made uh, just about 5,000 bikes for New Belgium Brewery, actually 5,500 bikes for them. Uh, got a big contract with Dick's Sporting Goods. Actually got a uh, order for 63,000 bikes for them this year. Damn. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> in a nutshell, the bike industry left the country in the 90s and it's basically was completely wiped out when i started the factory i couldn't go down the street and hire someone from the bike industry so basically took x auto you know engineers and and we just kind of figured it out and you know or tried to figure it out at least i wouldn't say we've nailed it yet but um started making bikes and um you know just kind of are i guess the tip of the spear on the reshoring side of the industry now we're actually we've had some success and we're able to start bringing this back which is pretty cool why why bikes how'd you get into bikes i mean what, yeah. what is the background here it just seems very specific thing it's yeah it's a strange thing to say but i i think bikes are a mode of mobility of the future i it's just kind of a timeless way to get around you know if you look at a bike it's just physics it's two wheels in the most simplest application of wheels but were you looking at it like oh, what, what what do people need right now bikes i can make a bike or was it uh, that I, I fiddled around with them? I really like cycling. <laughs> yeah, no, good, Why good question. So I ran for city council in Calgary. I'm originally from Canada. Okay. And uh, as I got into my run for city council, I started researching public policy and transportation policy. I just realized there's there's just basically a ton of goodwill for cycling infrastructure. You know, cities across North America have realized that um, it's a it's a much less expensive investment infrastructure wise to put you see it a lines. lot i mean you see it a lot around here widen the road a little bit right well just paint it that you're even seeing it in detroit is kind of amazing but i mean think of how far ahead cities like portland or minneapolis are even chicago's got a pretty active you know urban bike infrastructure so i just basically thought you know as these infrastructure changes are happening the bike industry should make a product for the types of people who are going to use those things as well the bike industry had typically kind of focused on athletic cycling or cheapest possible bike yeah and so I thought, you know, maybe we can kind of follow the beer industry a little bit. And, you know, instead of having, you know, like 30 years ago, you'd walk into a bar, it would be like Bud Light or Miller Light. If you wanted a fancy beer, you could find some crazy bar that would import something crazy. But now it's different. You know, we've seen a change in that industry where you go, you go into your average, you know, bar in the, in the U.S. right now, and they're going to have 30 interesting beers. 
I kind of think other industries could follow that model a little bit too, as people start to kind of know where their stuff comes from, you know, and feel a connection to that product. And COVID and coronavirus was actually good for bike manufacturers, wasn't it? I mean, didn't people just start buying tons of bikes, but then you couldn't make enough? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So co- we definitely had a run. It was crazy. So when we got furloughed, I had to lay all the staff off. I mean, not really laid off, like they still got paid. Mm-hmm. It was just me and my production manager in the factory for about four months. Oh, wow. And meanwhile, our sales were up about 8,000% over the year before. <laughs> oh, so is we, everybody buying these e-bikes, which I think is, is cheating? Like, I'm not a big fan of electric bikes. It's kind of like a moped. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, I was really against e-bikes for a while. Um, just but they're I, on fire right now. Everybody wants them. Absolutely blowing up. Yeah, people project it's going to be a $20 billion a year industry in That's the next ridiculous. four years. Yeah. It's cheating. But- you got to ride one before you judge it because I thought the same thing until I hopped on one. And they're <laughs> no, awesome. I, they're so fun. I don't doubt that. I just yeah. If you like a bird, uh, you got to like an e-bike. In fact, I remember uh, back when um, I was in high school, we had uh, I think it was Pook. I can't remember what it was, but it had a motorized bike and it had pedals on it, and you could ride it until you ran. You could like a gas motor. Yeah, yeah, you could. You could, and they were they looked like a bike. It was just a heavier frame, and it had a gas tank. And you could ride it to school, and if you ran out of gas, you would pedal it. And it was they were, they were kind of cool, and you could get around. And if you felt like a workout, you could pedal it. And if you were late for class, you flipped on the motor, and, uh, you know, away you went. But but this factory, it's a cool place. There are people working there, as you might expect. It's, you got some groovier guys there, some guys with beards and tattoos who are bending steel and doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, these are people who ride their bikes to work. These are people who are our neighbors and our friends. And, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty wild thing. And I know that, um, that bikes are, uh, you know, what, I, 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 so I respect entrepreneurs because I know what a risk it is to try and do something, particularly something that's labor-intensive and it requires machines. And when we went through the factory, Zach was showing me, well, we thought we needed this machine. It didn't really do what we needed to do. So uh, so we did this. And I said, well, what happened to that machine? He's like, well, we don't use it anymore. We built it. I was like, damn, see, yeah, that seems frustrating. Yeah. But since they started, now remember what Zach said. They started 2011, 2012, factory in 2013. Mayor Duggan was elected in 2013. It wasn't until 2014, 15, 16 that the city started creating bike lanes on East Warren, on Jefferson, which are somewhat controversial. I've heard from, because those are in my district, I've heard from people who say, oh, they're, ma- they're narrowing the streets. And I've heard from other people who say, I absolutely love it. We don't have so much traffic that we can't make room for the bikes. But this is becoming a bike-friendly city. The, the, the Quinder Cut, the bike lanes on some of our major thoroughfares, down by the waterfront, of course, Belle Isle. I mean, you are ahead of your time, and it seems like the rest of us are trying to catch up. Uh, I'll take that, sure. And Dick's Sporting Goods, I mean, what do you do when somebody says, uh, hey, dude, can you give me 60,000 bikes? And you're like, I don't know if I quite have Yeah, you start chewing 60, your 60,000 handlebars. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. So, and it's, I won't get into the nuances of it, but but it's pretty, pretty tricky to do stuff in a country with the whole industry gone because you don't make a bike in one factory. You know, we, we're the largest frame maker in the United States, but we still need to get the parts to put on those frames. And we don't have any parts makers we can buy that stuff from here domestically. So I've got to be bringing this stuff in. I've got to source stuff basically like a Chinese factory sources stuff. Meanwhile, I'm on this island in the U.S. with you know nobody around me. So I've got to have really good sourcing capacity there. And then the financial piece on it's super difficult too because like when they order, you know, that's a $16 million order. I can't go out of pocket and 
you know, pull all those parts in for them. So, so the big makers like, um, what is it? Giant and Trex, uh, where do they make their bikes at? Yeah. So I'm, I think, uh, Giant makes bikes for Trek. Giant is a okay. Taiwanese company. Um, and then, uh, you know, basically every, like, so I'll tell people this whole spiel, like we're the largest bike frame factory in America. Yeah. We make over half the bikes here and they're like, Oh, that's really cool. And then they, and then they say, but Schwinn's still made here. I'm like, no, nope. really? <laughs> Schwinn, Schwinn went bankrupt in the eighties. I mean, yeah. Schwinn is just a name that was bought out of bankruptcy court. That's the same with kind of bike brands across the board. It's just a name you put on the side of yeah, a There's bike. some value in the name. There's, there's some value in it, I guess, but well, people know it. Yeah. But it doesn't tie back to production, I guess is the key point. It's, you know, you, the Fushida factory in China is making Schwinn and Brooklyn bicycle company and really, yeah. Public and whoever else. Right? So why Detroit? If you said you said you're from Canada, like why, how'd you get here? Why pick this city? Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess it kind of goes hand in hand with that run for city council. I just started doing a lot of research mm -hmm. into, you know, what went wrong with cities, with urban planning and you know, what the future might be. And so Detroit's a big part of that story. Um, Detroit's also an amazing city with an incredible history. I was big in the music business before I got into, you know, running for city council. So obviously as a music fan, you kind of, everyone who likes music oh, yeah. likes Detroit. So I just came to visit in 2010. I wasn't sure I would move here, but I, I rapidly, you know, kind of fell in love with the city. There was a huge opportunity then too. I mean, I remember that the Wayne state or the Wayne County building downtown was for sale for 3 million bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, you could buy a skyscraper for like 800 grand. Yep. And it didn't make sense to me that the United States would let a city like Detroit get any worse than it was, you know, or f like fall off the map. It just, it didn't compute. So I kind of had this sense that it had to come back. And, you know, the 10 years I've been here have been pretty incredible. That's see, crazy how well, change. how well thought out your business is. You yeah. saw a hole in the market. I mean, it's not like, yeah, I just like bikes. I'm going to make them and sell them because I really enjoy it. But it's like, there's a hole. This is a market that's going to grow. Here's a city that can do it. I don't know. And now I, I think the other thing, you, like you mentioned with the cold craft beer, is that you will do specialty bikes yeah. for different entities, including this show. Yeah, that's why we're here. Happy 100th show, by the yeah, way. I'm pretty exactly. honored to be on here. And Thank by the you. way, do you have a card for uh, Mike Rattai? <laughs> I, oh, yeah, we'll get him one. I, like, what have you not, done? Not, not, not as far as a bike is. Yeah, yet. I mean, uh, he, is he, this he, a he, confession? He, he kind of makes me want to get into crime. I mean, what, 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 an, what an attorney. That guy was incredible. What a guest oh, yeah. to have. I mean, to well, you should show, see him in action, too, in a courtroom. I mean, it's pretty much the imagine. same thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little bit more church language. It makes you want to get into crime. That's a really yeah, good way to put it's, it. Yeah. It's the same thing. Well, <laughs> we, we have collaborated on a Soul of Detroit bike. This is a limited edition bike. Um, it is based on the, well, I mean, it is the, uh, the A-type bike, and we'll have a, a B-type bike if anybody wants What's one. What's the if, difference? If you're watching us on... Um, Top tube, you can step, step yeah. over it, so it just comes down instead of up. Oh, it's okay. like a like a the old bike. days, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Boys and girls bikes. So if you're watching us on Facebook Live, you can see a mock-up of the bike here. If you are listening to us online, we will have the rendering on our website mlsolvedetroit.com. We're going to do this on a pre-sale basis because uh, you know we uh, we don't mind making some T-shirts and counting on you to buy them, but we're going to draw the line at at actually uh, pre-purchasing transportation. So these are great bikes. Um, I've ridden them. They're a lot of fun. We, uh, as you can see, they are they are tricked out for us with an orange frame with some royal blue accents on the uh, fenders. Uh, probably a chain guard. Our logo's on it. It says Soul of Detroit. And uh, 
it's a cool bike. It's fun to ride. It's got all the gears you need for riding in Michigan and probably just about anywhere else unless you're in the Tour de France. And uh, these, they also have the very cool uh, Detroit Bikes badge. And um, they're just, in general, a sweet bike. And unlike most other places, we can actually deliver these after you purchase them. So what we're going to do is we're going to set up a pre-sale for a month. You can go to mlsoulofdetroit.com and see the bike. If you want to buy one, you can probably go to the Drew and Mike store. You can send us a note at mlsoulofdetroit at uh, gmail.com. Uh, we got to mark it up a little bit because they are a one-off item, but we're selling these for 900 bucks each. These are very high-quality bikes. and um, Made here, too. Made in Detroit. So. And made with American chromoly steel, too. So that's kind of the significant thing is the material it's made out of. You're not going to find a bike in a bike store that has American chromoly steel. Um, chromoly. What does that mean? Is it super heavy? Yeah, like if you watched uh, Game of Thrones, it's like Valyrian steel kind of. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, no, it's super lightweight. So it's it's this really strong steel. They use it in aircraft and race cars. So it allows us to have a really thin uh, wall thickness on the tubing. So the bike's pretty lightweight and has a really Good. nice ride feel. So that's um, kind of the the critical thing about it is it's just made out of stuff that is the best stuff in the world to and, make a bike out of. And it will, uh, as as Zach implied, allow you to go fast and fly. So all that for nine hundred bucks. That's pretty. That's pretty good. And DetroitBikes.com is the website now. So if other some say someone else had a business and they wanted to brand bikes, you'll yeah, are you that. backed up on that? Can you do that right now? We, yeah, we do that for a lot of companies. For example, Schwinn, who I maybe quasi trashed earlier, but I'm I'm That's not fine. really trashing Schwinn. Fuck Schwinn. I'm just explaining Schwinn. But no, well, so they were a customer of ours last year. Oh, they okay. were great. They they had us do their 125th anniversary bike. They wanted to to the company that owns Schwinn ultimately Durrell, a Canadian company. For Schwinn's 125th anniversary, we wanted a U.S. made frame. So they came, came to us for that. We do that for all kinds of different companies. But we also do that kind of work for uh, small businesses. So like Mission Point Resort up on Mackinac Island has a fleet of bikes with their branding on them. And, and we're able to do that because we're domestic. I so. see the Jameson bike. I see a Dearborn Meat bike. Yeah, I did uh, some uh, Detroit Mercy. Oh, uh, yeah, the UAD bike. That, that's a sharp-looking one, man. So who are some of the uh, who are some of the celebs who you're comfortable telling yeah. us you've made specialty bikes for them? Oh gosh, uh, Brie Larson rides one of our bikes. Um, oh, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, who's the Who's the guy from that? Uh, the Fly. Uh, De- Jeff Goldblum. Gold- 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 really? He, yeah. He. We, we're his bike of choice. He did a great program and and uh, featured us. Does it turn into uh, anything? Is it like a man one minute and a bike the next minute or? <laughs> not, not, a not, not that I know. I don't, I don't know what he's up okay. to. I mean, how did they find out about you guys? Um, like you know, Bree or Goldblum. People like talking about the company. You know, I think it's one of the nicest things about starting a business in Detroit is that it seems kind of like America's rooting for Detroit. At least, mm-hmm. the, like the good people in America are. It's got a it, cool hip quotient to it. It, it does, and and also there's Michiganders kind of all over the place who talk it up. So you know, for some reason, the company is pretty well known. That's and, great. And so. They hear about it. Some people have done some programs, and some people talk to friends or whatever. But yeah, we just made a bike for Miguel Cabrera, so I found out that he was really into Winnie the Pooh. So I made him like a nice <laughs> yellow bike with a red chain guard. Um, so that that kind of stuff's fun because you couldn't really like call up you know the Ace Factory in China and say like, hey, I want ten of something. Yeah, They'd tell you to go away. But for us, we love that kind of business. Like we'll make you ten of ten of whatever you want, you know, just because it keeps us busy. So yeah, if, if I had a business, I'd brand it too. Why not? It's fun. Yeah. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe, maybe we should lower the price to eight ninety nine. That's a good idea. 
That okay. that makes it a little. You lower a price, so we're gonna make that bike now. We're already marking it down from nine hundred to eight ninety nine. So uh, a man but, of the but, people, you are. But don't wait till next week's episode. It will not go down to eight ninety eight. <laughs> You're gonna want to get in there at eight ninety nine. And I think so. If we order these, if we have our pre sale and we say we we call it a day by the end of May, how long will it take people to get those bikes, Zach? That's a lot of pressure on the clock here. I a couple months. It's a, it's a tough time in the bike industry. So, uh, like, we ran, ran out of rims today. Okay. Um, so I, I, we saw that coming, ordered a bunch more, but... Uh, what a nightmare. Got a knock on wood. Ho- hopefully we'll have some rims in the so next you can, like, month or so. So you can still ride it this summer. There's no wheels. And if you're interested, should we have people come pick it up, or should I deliver these bikes? You're delivering them. Make them deliver them. I think it'd be cool if you delivered them for your listeners, but also if they want to see the factory, they can come down and pick it up, and I'll give them a walkthrough. It's, uh, you know, it's cool to see. Uh, 50,000 okay. square foot. West side of the city. So, where's it at? Where's the factory at? So, we're uh, just north of Chicago, just south of Plymouth on Schaefer. Okay. So, just off of uh, 96, right there on the west side? Pretty yeah. close to 96. That's so, too far away from us. And it's 96 in the south of it. So, yeah, for a thousand bucks, I'll go for a ride with you. Uh, for uh, 1500 bucks, I'll bring Sean. <laughs> and we'll do a Soul of Detroit. And tandem. a tandem bike? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do a Soul of Detroit what? Tandem. Yeah, um, oh, tandem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can't you just put me in a little high chair on the back? <laughs> or maybe one of those Side little car. baby carriers? Yeah, baby carrier. <laughs> yeah, like a, like a, a rickshaw? I'd bring a baby. Going Kramer on us? Some depends. Okay. Well, 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 I'll be good. <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, I'm not sure that we may be getting ourselves in too deep. Well, anyways, just get a damn bike. And and if you want to if you wanna see what else is available, they have e-bikes. There's all kinds of different styles of bike. Go to DetroitBikes.com. That's DetroitBikes.com. And, and Zach, where's the showroom if people want to go out and uh, and have a look at one of the finished products? It's uh, right where Larry Mongo used to cut Coleman Young's hair in oh. uh, in, oh, wow. in, uh, in um, Capitol Park. So twelve sixteen Griswold. Okay. So not too far from Demongos either. Then that's right. So Larry keeps yeah. it local. So if you've never been to Demongos, by the way, you absolutely have to go. Um, Zach, thanks for thanks for uh, teaming up with us on this, and uh, I, I know you're going to sell at least two bikes because I'm buying one. Teresa's buying one, and um, I want one. I'm going to talk to Sean about this later. But and there's lots of cool accessories too that are available on the DetroitBikes.com website, from bike racks to baskets to bottle holders. Uh, in Miguel Cabrera's, I think it's a Scotch bottle holder that's on that bike. <laughs> not, not anymore. Yeah. Anymore. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad because nice, uh, nice poking fun of one of his customers. What's already paid for? Well, but I have a return buyers, man. <laughs> Maybe I have to buy one for the whole team. He was going to invest. Could See? you do? Until you said that. Nice could, ragging on one of his could, investors. Could you do an Eeyore bike for Sean? It has like a, a well, detachable tail. It's always fun to addiction. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> it has a, has a tail on the back of it. So yeah. it could oh. come off and come on from the fender or something. Sure. And a little uh, broken balloon holder up front. Not, he's not thrilled. So, no, okay. Wow, wow. Uh, boy, it's time for us to try and uh, uh, lift Sean's spirit maybe with our, our Geek of the Week. But is that is that Max's music? that? You talked it out. You talked it out. What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys? So it's a long show, and I'm going to get to the point. Our Geek of the Week are the Michigan lawmakers who have come up with 39 election reform bills that really have nothing to do with election reform. They have everything to do with keeping you from voting. Now, we can get into the merits of each bill. We can discuss who's for them, who's against them. I don't want to do that. 
I want to just say that there is one thing that the Democrats and the Republicans agree on, and that is, and we've been talking about it for years, that we need to pass election reform that allows a hand recount of ballots where the number of votes counted in the poll book don't match the number of ballots reported. In other words, we want to be able to open those ballot boxes and count them. Sometimes as many as two-thirds of the votes cast can't be subject to a hand recount because Michigan law says you can't do it. It doesn't make sense. It's asinine. It's undermining confidence in voting. Yet, of the 39 bills that propose to bring confidence back to Michigan voters, that is not one of them. So those of you pushing these 39 bogus bills... You couldn't make it an even 40 by putting in at least one thing we can all agree on. You are our Geek of the Week. I'd say that poll book is off by over 100,000. Be good. There's an all-night party in room 1-800-5-9-9-9-9-9. Okay, so if you're listening now, you're one of our download listeners. Man, I'm so glad those Facebook Live people are gone. <laughs> it's just much cooler to be with those of you where we're just inside your head right now. Right? It's better knowing that we're not being watched. Yes. Right, Sean? It's, it's, right. Know the answer to that? So I was tempted to make um, Big Mouth Strikes again this week's choice for Room 7609, both because it's part of our theme music. Wait, 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 wait. You did it. You said you were going to keep the Geek of the Week short. Can you do that here too? <laughs> Sean hates the show. I've already run 10 seconds longer than necessary because of that rejoinder. But, um, and I also thought it would be a good thing for us to talk about. Um, uh, uh, that song because this week on the crown at least on the episode i watched they tell the story behind big mouth strikes again where a man with a rusty sponge and a rusty spanner broke into buckingham palace that story is told on the crown but last week kelly said sean is a butt sean has just proven that (laughs) she wanted to hear bronski beat so bronski beat it is with one of their greatest songs ever small town boy
I was looking forward to talking about Bronski Beat, but Sean's bored, so... Uh, um. No, it's a great song. What else do you want to say? A melancholy song. What else is there to, to So say? to speak. That is uh, Sean's music review. Yeah, there you go. You done? It's a classic. It's just nice to hear something nice on the show for the first time in, what, 100? (laughs) Well, there was that week that you were off. That was kind of a nice show. I mean, other than you singing uh, Triumph, which I know I talk about all the time. Don't do it because I'll start singing. No, No, that was fun. That was my favorite moment in the show. I was going to do some Triumph in honor of our guest, Zach Pashik. Please don't. They are Canadian, aren't they? They are indeed. You're going to sing some Rush, too? I don't think I can quite hit Getty Lee. I feel like I could compete with Triumph a little bit. Okay. Zach, you a Triumph fan? I didn't know Triumph was Canadian. I was thinking maybe <laughs> I'd get some Loverboy. Loverboy. West Coast action. God, yeah. It's more set. I got a better ass than Mike Love, but that's all I got. And I am always working for the weekend. If you say so. What was it? Turn Me Loose? Was that the yeah. uh, one? Yep. Yeah. They had, they had a few hits. Mm-hmm. God, that was, yeah. When I was in high school, they were really popular. <laughs> Are you okay? Wow, yeah. thanks for that. Are you okay today? That trip down. No, not really. What's not what's really. going on with you? No, just allergies or something. Who knows? Okay. Well, anyways, uh, just a, maybe a, Mike. Bring the energy. A, a little bit about uh, Bronski beat. We've heard. We've talked about Jimmy Somerville uh, before on this show when we played the Communards, and when Small Town Boy came out, it, it was something of an anthem in discos and for for. Folks who were gay at a time when that was still something where it was acceptable, if you can believe it, to treat people poorly because of their sexual orientation. Bands like Bronski Beat, The Communards, Erasure, and people like Jimmy Somerville became icons who kind of broke out of of uh, the closet, uh, kicked the door down, and became stars. And it was because not just that this country, this world was starting to evolve to become a little more enlightened and to uh, to become more accepting, and to become more righteous, not self-righteous, not righteous in the way that Jimmy Swaggart might have told you righteousness was, or Jerry Falwell, or uh, who's the one guy whose kid turned out to be a real creep? Was it, was Falwell? It, was it Falwell's kid? Okay, Paul yeah. Jr. But, um, but in a way that just celebrated who we are, how we live, how we love, and one of the reasons why I think this became easier for us to get to a better place is because the music was just so damn good. I don't care if you were some tough guy who, uh, you know, had a pack of Luckies rolled up under your sleeve. You had to listen to something like this and say, that's some pretty damn fine music. So we appreciate it both for its musical excellence, but also for helping to get us all to a better place. And so Bronski Beat, if you don't know Bronski Beat, please dive a little deeper into their their catalog. There are a lot of songs that do have some of that angst that Sean not only referenced, but is deeply uh, enmeshed in. But there's a lot of celebration, too. And it's, uh, it's music that brings people together and moves us forward. So thank you very much to Kelly for suggesting Bronski Beat. As you know, here in Room 7609, we are looking for new wave acts that maybe you love and nobody else knows about, or that hidden gem in the catalog of an iconic new wave band that just deserves a little more play, and we are the ones who are going to make that happen. So please keep those nominations coming to mlsolvedetroit at gmail.com. You can also call and leave us a message at Butterfield 8. 9070, that's 
288-9070. Let us know what you would like to hear. We already have a great nomination for next week that I hope we will we will be able to uh, spin for you. It's a fantastic tune. In fact, I liked it so much, I almost didn't go with Bronski Beat, but I wanted to be able to reference the Sean as a butt comment, so we had to go with Bronski. <laughs> so this really had nothing to do with Kelly. You no, used, it had everything to do with Kelly. You used Kelly. Kelly, Kelly like Zach looks around corners and sees where we're headed. You used Kelly. No, no, you just don't like that Kelly yeah, just to, to, to rag on you. Exactly. You used No, it. that's not true at all. You put it up there like you really cared about her and her choice and or wanted him. to play this Could song. Be him. You don't give a shit about me, but you wanted to <laughs> pretend like he cared about one of our listeners and play this song, but really it's just a fucking excuse to come after me. Okay, What's they're up, fine. I'm going, back to mouth? S- I'm going back to sleep now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's all Sean's energy for the last two hours. So, right. uh... So Mark mentioned that Kelly could be a man. Have I told you my... Um, have okay, I, fine. You used him. Have I told you my Greenwich Village lesbian bar story? Uh, oh, you no. don't really need no. to. Okay. All right. How long so, is it going to take? Because I, I want to hear it. It'll take, it'll take less time than Mike's answer no to that one question we asked him about whether no, or not... Don't, uh, don't deflect. Just, okay. So, um, so I was with uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, a lovely woman. And um, we were at a bar, and this was in the early 90s, so New York, Soho. um, So Palestinian, PLO scarves were out at that point. I don't even know what that means. I just remember, I was there in the 80s in Soho, and... The wearing the air well, I was there in the 70s. scarf and a corduroy. You're eating you're there into, in the 60s? Oh, sort of you're eating into his time, Sean. In the 50s. I'm just trying to keep him from the He story. hasn't even really set the scene. <laughs> so anyway, okay, You're with a lovely woman in Soho in the 90s. The village there was still go. a little edgy. In fact, there was recently a story said that I think said there's only like two gay, gay bars in, in Greenwich Village now, which is insane because that used to be a very gay area. Anyway, we went into a bar and we sat down and we looked around and I said... Uh, uh, I think this is a lesbian bar. And my girlfriend said, uh, I don't think so. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's have a drink. And they had one of those scrolling marquees. And I said, well, let's, let's look at the marquee. This will help us figure it out. And the first message that goes up was, happy anniversary, Kelly and Jennifer. Hmm. And they said, okay, well, Kelly could be a guy. So that's a push. So we couldn't figure out. Next one was, uh, uh, congratulations um, on your birthday, Bobby and and uh, and Penelope. And I'm like, well, Bobby could be a boy's name, could be a girl's name. So, okay, so that's two down. We're not there. The next one was something like, um, uh, way to go, Pat and Monica. <laughs> I'm like, damn it, we're not getting any closer. So then we have, uh, you know, Shelly and uh, whatever. I'm like, well, it could, you know, Francis and whatever. We couldn't get anything. Do you need six examples? Kelly went up there. We got it after two. And then finally it said something like, you know. uh, Oh, finally. That's just a cue for another (laughs) six examples. (laughs) Finally it said, you know, congratulations on the softball championship, Monica and Veronica. And then I said, okay, it's a lesbian bar, which was fine. We just finished our drinks and went. I was fine staying, but I was I was afraid that uh, my girlfriend was very attractive, and I'm I'm always Insecure. the least attractive person oh. in a bar. So I said, "Let me get her the hell out of here before the next one that goes up is you know, congratulations on your first date, Jessica, and somebody else, and ML beat it." Wow, that had what I really like in a story and ending. Oh, it, it did. Or- <laughs> Poor Mike. You got there eventually. Unfortunately, that story, like most of Sean's uh, dates, ended earlier than I had planned. Well, speaking of dates, well, it wasn't maybe really a date when I lived in Austin in the early 80s, and I wanted to listen to music like the, the Bronski beat, 
We'd go to oh, club. Boy. There Here were a couple we of clubs we'd go to, and they were both gay clubs. And a buddy of mine and I would go, and we'd just dance. And when guys would come up and want to dance with us, we'd say, no, we were, we were with each other. <laughs> and uh, that that seemed to work pretty well, you know. And then you go out and smoke a blunt and come back in and listen to some more new wave like you love. That, that right there is a far more interesting story. And that's, but that's the end of it, right? What? So My story is true. And then you guys lived happily ever after? <laughs> no. He's, he's actually still in Austin with the family and so forth. But that was one way to. Wait, you and your buddy would go to gay bars to dance together. Not to dance together necessarily. We wanted to listen to music and and dance and take whatever we were going to take. If you want to go to a fun take. place to dance, you've got to go to a gay but bar. But we would say best best that was dance club I've ever that been way, to was a gay no. bar in Madrid. Awesome place. It was just easier to say no. We're we're together, and then I mean he he looked like a young Sean. Did anybody make you prove it, it? It, it wasn't me that the, that the guys were after so much as they were him. He he had a little cleft in the chin, and like like I said, a young Sean. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Sean Connery and, and Gollum. So he would more say, "Hey, I'm with him," and they would be, "What the fuck are you doing with him?" And then, but anyway, it, after a while, it just it's a way to not be bothered and dance to your music. And wait, wait, you wait, you get bothered at other dance bars? What's that? I don't know. That's just not the story I expected to hear today. Yeah, because it, it was such a nice change where Sean would get frustrated. The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders would come <laughs> up so to him. Oh, no, no, yeah, exactly. no, I never had that issue at all. Yeah, I find that impossible to believe. But but look, think about it this way: What are you going to hear that kind of music? At least, especially back then, where women that are Dallas Cowboy cheerleader types. First of all, they don't even live in Austin. Not then, right? They yes, were you Dallas. would because why, why the hot chicks that? always go to the gay bars. If you want to meet some of the best-looking women, you have to go to a gay bar. I agree, but not to look like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. Well, the problem is because they go to the blonde, whatever. That, that come on, man. That's you're, Dallas. So you're telling that's, me no other clubs so or bars played that music in, in that in that time. That's where you go listen okay. to that music. I mean, there was a great rock and roll scene in that, so in that at that time. That, there was a place called the Continental Club. You can go see bands, and that's still there. Yeah, <laughs> I used to go see the True Believers and all these great groups, but uh, that was a completely different crowd. That's where you went in with your flannel. But if you want to go listen to the Bronsky beat, you know you. Well, I'm I'm not going to see what I'm saying. I'm not going to sit here and let you play into that tired <laughs> narrative. That, this is that, how that, it was back that then. Broken stereotype. You're that the Dallas like, Cowboy cheerleaders are shallow. Like Bleached blonde bimbos. I'm I, not I, saying that. I'm saying you're yeah, acting. I like think you implied it. Thirty years of evolution. Come on, man. It was much more separate back then. Well, if there's any Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders listening, uh, I want to just tell you that I'm sorry for what Sean said. And if you want to send me an email at mlsoulofdetroit.com, we'll go for a ride on our nice new Soul of Detroit bikes. You know what? Fine. You want to go date somebody that carries a makeup bag on their backpack. That's that's cool. You're saying that they're idiots again. No, I'm not saying that at all. It has nothing to do with intelligence. Look, let me just say this. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody's interested in me anyway. So it didn't matter. I'm fascinated by this. It didn't matter. It was the dude I was with. <laughs> yeah. That's the point. Zach, are you available for just say? Are you available for a hundred and first show? It sounds like Sean's just uh he's I'm ready. He's yep. he's stepping aside. I'll only do it if Sean's here too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well it's a net gain. That's cool the, that you know the, the at what remember, price? The, have you been to the Conno Club? I have, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I don't. I haven't been there in a long time, but uh, you know, it was a fun place to go. That's the uh, for South by Southwest. Uh, that was always the good little high. Like you you kind of have to hike up that hill to get yeah. to it, and kind of little pocket kind of good stuff going on. Yeah, it's a completely it's a very different town. But even then, but back then, yeah, it was great. We used to go see all sorts of great, great bands, local bands, and then bands that would come through. You know, like the Butthole Surfers that Mike mm-hmm. would probably love. I do like the Butthole mm-hmm. Surfers. 
you know, with two drummers. And they're Volting yeah. Cox, also yeah. a Texas band. Yeah, the Buzzcocks. Scratch Buzz Acid Cox. was another band back then. They were, I think that was a, I think they were an Austin band. Rocky anyway. Erickson was playing down there. Oh, yeah, yeah 13th floor. Timbuk oh, yeah. 3. They used to, or Tim, sure. yeah. Yeah, Timbuk 3. They used to play on a so little, bright, uh, gotta wear shades. a little stoop. Yeah, uh, right in front of a head shop where I used to get my bongs at. That was uh, well, Sean. W- once again, before they were cut many, their record. Many, thank you. How many bongs? You acted like that's a commodity. Like you had to get bongs all the well, time. Yeah. How many bongs did you know, have to people get? People probably don't even use bongs. How anymore, quickly right? did you go through bongs? We used to coke. Oh, it was it was the collection. You know, it was like okay. it was a, And was, what happened to your bong collection? I have no idea. It's been gone a long time. Now we know why they call you. Mr. One day Milk. I woke up and 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 did that. What do you want to say? Smoked it and looked in a mirror and had no idea who I was and I felt like I was on an LSD trip, and that was the end of that. I haven't really haven't smoked since. Yeah, you've heard. You've surely uh, known people that have started to get paranoid after a while from smoking weed. Uh, not really. You've never heard that before. Well, maybe well, it's heard so, of it. I've maybe never. it's so engineered now that that doesn't happen. That's not a side effect. I don't know. Does yeah, it happens to me? Yeah. Okay. See, so there you, you go. Get annoyed. Everybody gets annoyed. That happens. No, not a, did you say? Oh, the annoyed. The annoyed. Oh, yes, that's a well-known uh, phenomenon. But it's just a total loss of sense of self. And you know, when you already are bent toward that anyway, you don't need somebody something heightening that. Right. So well, thank, thanks for like, bringing the show back on track, a, Sean. Um, I thought we were running. That's why I never liked LSD. Focus, but uh, but your yeah, Texas bong hits. Sean, mushrooms are fine. You know, you get a little bit of the hallucinogenic. <laughs> no, no, no. Time. Mushrooms are not fine. Why they not? Are antisocial. That's been my experience. Well, yeah, but I kind of you know so mushrooms and pop a little muscle relaxers on top of that, and then drink your if you want your malt dock, depending on the time, or you can add in your Bud Light or Miller Light. Uh, boys, are you These listening? These days, you would add a craft beer in. <laughs> Sounds like a good weekend at the Windsor household, man. No, but then wow. you just sit there, and and the and the the pain of life sort of dissipates. Isn't that the point? Are you in that much pain? I, think I lost the point a long time ago. Anyways, that was Bronson Why do you think, shoot, do you think um, people shoot heroin? Seriously? No, I, no, I, I'm, no not, I, I'm not into I underst- heroin. I understand that. Yes. But that's the idea. No, right? I mean, there's there's an epidemic. I understand why it ha- why it exists. It, exactly. The epidemic. Life's yeah. fucking hard. So yeah. And those things make you feel good until and it's, bikes until make it's you over. Feel good, right? I'm not, you know, you. It'd be much. It's a much healthier thing, to, healthier thing to do. Yeah, thanks for tying our new hundredth uh, anniversary <laughs> bike into heroin. Um, <laughs> Ride a bike instead of instead of shooting heroin. I, I think that's a pretty good. Campaign. And I guess if if you did, uh, if you got a flat tire, you could use it to tie off. So yeah, thanks, Sean. I'm glad how we've somehow masterfully segued a very healthy and wholesome thing into. Uh, you shooting skag down in Texas uh, with the laughing hyenas while your boys are sitting uh, here saying, Daddy's bad! There's so oh, much more God. to mine there. I mean, <laughs> the laughing hyenas are an Ann Arbor band. Come on. By the way, a good yeah, bike duh. town, right? Has it's it ever occurred bike. to anybody this show is upside down? <laughs> it takes like an hour before Sean takes <laughs> he over. Ran, he has to ramp up, man. This is like Benjamin Button podcast. I got to tell you, there's so much to mine with this guy. We just found out that he goes with his buddy to the to the gay bars to dance, and uh, he has yeah, to buy well, he's doing heroin of- on a bike in the parking lot with. Uh, I've never tried heroin <laughs> yet. Oh, I don't need. I make my own heroin. You know, I mean, my body produces heroin. I don't need it. That's it. That's you know oh, a joke. Boy. Come um, on. If, uh... Where's the hopes not handcuffs guys when we need them? Um, okay. Well, anyway, so uh, uh, look, I offer I offer the hope and all that bullshit through the free press. But when I come here, you know, I want to keep it, uh, you know, real, How about classy that? or classy. 
Wow. Well, I'm glad we got the sponsor reads out of the way. I think everybody wants to be hey, as, uh, as far away from Hiroshima as possible. There's no pretense with this man. He is what he is. He is. He, uh, That's why takes, we love Sean Windsor. You know what? We all have stories from our past, right? That's all. I went to a bar with a girl. I wasn't shooting up heroin on a $900 yeah, but a girl or a woman? Austin, a girl or a woman? It was a Texas, Texas cowboy cheerleader. You tell me. She had makeup on her back hip, like you said, and oh, yeah. uh, I know a, bleach blonde a, hair a and, and a back and a backpack. Get it right, man. Okay, so and I didn't say bleach blonde; I said peroxide, but that's all right. That's a bleach. I know. Okay, moving you, on. You writers in your words uh, <laughs> really are splitting hairs. Uh, You've got ML to have his head in his hands. Maybe it's good to stop at a nice round number. Um, I, I think you know what this. Uh, just go on to feedback. Yeah. Just move to feedback. So, uh, just ignore Sean now. Depending yeah. on how many bikes we sell over the next month, we may be back. Otherwise, we're just... Uh, we'll we'll just, be back. There's so much more to come out of Sean. I just want to know what it is. I know. I just... Uh, this man is very intriguing to me. It's sort of like when the genie comes out of the bottle. Toy. You, get, you get three <laughs> wishes, and the I'm third wish is always, you, I want right? to undo the first two wishes. Um, Dave makes another contribution. This is our reader comment and listener comment. Uh section um along with oh no this is our donor thanking our donors dave makes another contribution by contributing i mean he sent us some money along with this comment leaving a message this time rock on fellas one of my favorite podcasts uh you can get your comments on the air too just include a note with your donation uh mark how do people make those donations and leave those notes uh through paypal you can find the link at mlsoladetroit.com there's another way to donate that listener Brandon has come up with. Uh, last week, he provided me with 72 cans, which I took to the store and turned into $7.20. And the bag that he used to control those, or to contain those cans is now in my uh, kitchen trash receptacle. So, Brandon, okay. thank you for the cans. I heard you were very concerned bag. about his uh, Red Bull consumption, too. No, no. He pointed it out to me. He said, if I keep bringing you cans, you will find out I drink a lot of Red Bull. I said, I'd already remarked upon that just to myself. Uh, there was a remarkable... <laughs> I've never seen someone drink that much Red Bull. A lot of Red Bull, as particularly for somebody as even keeled as him. <laughs> yeah, right. But I also tell Brandon, as someone who used to work in a little party store, thank you for keeping your clan, your cans clean, rinsed, and uh, and dry. That's a big... Big help to those of us who are underemployed right now. Um, you can also help our shows by supporting our sponsors so they know they're not wasting our time and their money sponsoring the show. And, of course, you can buy our merchandise. You may have heard we have a bike available uh, marked down from $900 to $899. That pre-sale is going on in the month of May. Go to drewandmikestore.com. We will have a link up there very soon. Uh, if you want to buy one right now, it's an impulse buy. The money's burning a hole through your pocket. Send us an email at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com, and we will reserve one for you. Um, and they, they come in different sizes, right, Zach? So Sure. We can do that. Yeah. So, uh, But really, we're just looking for big he-men like Sean to get one. So uh, He-men. Oh, boy. Oh. He's back. Oh. Uh, okay. Um, we also have Go hoodies. Ahead. I want to uh, hear more about why you don't like mushrooms. Uh, yeah, what happened? It's a moment of confession. Exactly. So I'll just tell you what my, my experience with mushrooms was. With, with mushrooms, which I always found to be a very uh, a very uh, uh, interesting diversion. Spit it out. What would happen is I would always feel um, 
a little aloof. I would always feel like things were going on, but I was never connected. So I was more of an observer, almost like a little balloon floating over it. But then there was also... Removed from your life, so to speak. There was also a feeling of, um, uh, what are all these fools doing? Why am I here? And then the fools would move on and you'd be like, wait, wait, don't leave without me. (laughs) I need my fools. Yeah, then you're running down the block like 10 feet behind the the crowd saying, I don't know, I'm doing with these idiots. This is a waste of time. This is so stupid. Then they'd turn the corner and say, where'd you go, fellas? So that was, it was okay, but I didn't really, Mm. There you go. Okay, I just wanted to make it interesting and get back to your thing now. I'm just going to stick with it. Oh, thank you, sir. (laughs) Again, the show is upside down. Your thing. (laughs) Uh, uh, if you were watching us on Facebook Live, you saw Sean's very fetching hoodie. We still have those long sleeve T-shirts, beanies, all the other good stuff. And, of course, uh, when it comes to luxury products, in addition to bikes, we have our custom-made neon Soul of Detroit clocks that come in two sizes. So uh, please please uh, avail yourself of that opportunity to do some commerce. Uh, Mother's Day is coming up. Father's Day is coming up. Spend early, spend often. Uh, now your feedback. Kendall writes, Mr. Elric, you had a great back and forth with Jim autoplay last week in a freep piece on Bobby's release. You two mentioned how demoralizing it was when you, th- what you had, you th- what you went, then what you thought you had. Big- <laughs> you mentioned how demoralizing it was when what you thought were big <laughs> scoops and investigative work struggled to generate much attention. Um, I think Kelly Kendall is referring to a video that Jim and I did talking about the Kilpatrick case that uh, you can find at Freep.com. Jim Schaefer. Jim Schaefer. Yep. Carried that bitch. Uh, Anyway, um, you can... Of course you did. You didn't didn't have to mention that. Sean's already... He's back to his happy place at the Free Press. Anyway, um, we... um, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how you think you have a big story and you don't know whether it's going to hit. So Kendall says, can you explain how you can tell when a story is making waves? I'm assuming in the modern era, it's counting clicks and Facebook shares, but is there also a certain energy you feel in the newsroom? The phone starts ringing, deluge of texts and emails, the bar at happy hours buzzing, stuff like that. Um, and then they want us to revisit some stories. We'll get to that in a minute. That's a, that's a great question, though. How, how much of it is determined by clicks now? You know, I don't know. And, and I will tell you probably not as much as you think because there have been stories that we have told our bosses people will eat this up. And they're just like, yeah, I don't know. And one of the reasons I left the free press, I was going to say the most recent time, but I guess the second to most recent time, is because the free press would not publish a story I did about a lawmaker essentially being extorted by the Speaker of the Michigan House, who was also a candidate running for governor, who had threatened to remove her committee assignments because she voted against the caucus and said, I will allow you to keep your committee assignment and maybe just reassign you if you go and raise some money for the Democratic Party or for our uh, our campaign committee. Um, this was fundraising done in the Speaker's office, which is illegal. This was essentially extorting someone, although I don't know that it would have excited a prosecutor, but it was completely and utterly improper, and it was caught on tape, and the free press would not let me publish that story for various reasons. Um, And I told them, I said, you know what? It's a good story. It's an important story. Their answer was, well, everybody knows this is how politics works. I said, that's what people think, but when we have a real example, we should share that. I should also note that the people who made this terrible decision, this career-altering decision, are no longer at the free press. Um, but, uh, but I had said to them, when we put that audio up, people are going to go crazy for that. And they acknowledged that this would be a big hit 
traffic wise, but they said we just don't think it's a story, or at least not a big enough story for you. And I said, well, the other shit I'm working on ain't any better, so let's do this one. Um, so clicks don't always drive it. No, they <laughs> they, left, they right? killed a couple other really good stories, and then I left because at look, some point you can they they were going to pay me. Until I retired, a handsome wage to not do anything, and that's just not how I work. No, and I think that's great, and you stood up for your principles. And by the way, Mark, yeah, it's just, not, just don't don't. Yeah, I, I appreciate the dismissive tone, but go not, ahead. It's not clicks; it's subscriptions now, and that's changed the. And I'm going to use a mic word here. That's changed the calculus a little bit, right? Yeah, I, I don't came think up it's, with diff- that word. it's different trying to get somebody to open up a headline for a click when they don't have to pay, as opposed to open it up when they do have to pay. So, in other words, I'm not going to be able to read this unless I get my credit card number out and buy a subscription. And it, it psychologically, it changes it. You know, you can be much more – people. what we've discovered is people aren't as willing to, to pay for a subscription for negative news as they are to open up something that's negative or sensational in the headline or whatever. And wait, that's wait, what wait. we're say trying that, to figure say, out. Say that again. It's, so, in other words, what we – the stories that would go viral yes. and would get hundreds of thousands of clicks, right, aren't necessarily the stories that get a lot of subscriptions. Sometimes they are, and there's overlap, but we're so we're trying to figure out. I mean, I, I feel it all the time when I write my column. What do you, what gets subscriptions? Like what kind of stories? Um, the draft, for example. Really? Just If we're just sticking with sports, okay. the draft, because it's the Why? future and because it's hope. You know how sports fans are, right? You can get draft news. It's the same way recruiting. You can get draft news anywhere. No, but right. But if people um, want to come to the free press, it's, it's stuff like that. Really? I, that kind of surprises yeah. me. Or oh, I wrote a column that was yesterday about Sheila Ford Amp, who owns the Lions, and I, and I talked about her inner swag. And they like us to come up with headline suggestions, right? Mm-hmm. And then they tweak them or whatever. And I thought swag, you put swag in the same with Sheila Ford Hemp. The owner of the line. Yeah, the contrast. The contrast, right. People aren't going to think of that. It's not negative necessarily, but people might be intrigued by that. And sure enough, it did a huge number of subscriptions. Uh, do you find that annoying now, though, that you have to think yeah, like that? You, it, yeah, it's, it's completely, it's an anathema to, to how we were trained, you know. Does she keep her makeup 30 on years her ago. back hip? I don't know. Sheila Ford Hamp? Probably not. Because you seem right. to know so much about other football women. No, I know nothing about women, period, or, she, or men, you know, so I guess people. But it seems like people don't ever read beyond the headline a lot of times or beyond the first. You know, no, we be. can tell. We we can. Yeah. I mean, you can tell how long people stay in with the story. You know that. So it's not just clicks. It's also the the time somebody's in your story. Advertisers like to know that. Too. But I feel like when people are quote unquote mad at the media, whatever side you are, left, right, it's usually because of how a headline um, reports something. Sometimes, for sure. I think that's where a lot of anger comes from because they feel like headlines are misleading. But I kind of feel like. Well, they're that way, so you will read it. Yeah, sometimes we there. feel like, I mean, right, yeah. Mike can t- speak to this. Sometimes we feel like headlines on our own stories we've written are misleading. Well, now. Or don't capture, or, or not fair. Yeah. Or they'll take one little part and put it on the headline. You're like, ah, that's not what he, really what I'm saying. Well, the last time I went back to the free press, we actually did write our own headlines. Sometimes somebody yeah. else would tweak them, but uh, I'm pretty satisfied with what appears under my headline. I mean, because we write them. Sometimes somebody will jack one up, but I'd, I'd rather write the headlines because I understand the story and all the nuance, and I'm not going to make some of these leaps that people make when they try and turn a, a thousand-word story into ten words. Yeah, but I, it's a different that, skill. Does, does that I, work anymore, though? No, it's I mean, a different skill. Mike's, I mean, Mike's. If you know how to write, you can write long, you can write short. Well, but Mike's the, not. Mike's going to be no, not modest. Obviously, it's not in his DNA, but. 
but it's a different the skill. Leaps in a headliner would get people to read it. I'm not sure. What's but that? The leaps in a headliner would get people to read it. Exactly. And then they probably read and go, well, that's not Writing and editing are different skills. And to me, headline writing is sort of the part of the brain with editing. You distill in a way. Yeah. And it's harder to do that with something you've written. Well, just, Ken- huh. Kendall, to get back to your point, you, you can kind of tell when a story is making waves because there is an energy in the newsroom, particularly if people who are involved in big stories or big events or maybe they're on projects who have disappeared for a while start showing up a lot and you see people going in and out of offices and having meetings and uh, and there are there are uh, some reporters who spend most of their time reporting on what's going on in the newsroom rather than outside of the newsroom. But you do feel a certain uh, uh, electricity there. And when we were getting ready to break the Kilpatrick text message story to keep it with the Jim Schaefer uh, theme that we started with, people knew we'd been working on something for forever. They knew it was getting ready to happen. And, uh, and I think there was still a, a, a sense of curiosity in the newsroom, like what the hell was going on? I mean, Sean, you were working in sports by then. Did you remember whether people like, well, hey, I, I think I, these guys are finally going to What I remember is running, in, running into you at a party at Laura Vera Brown's house. Was it a retirement party for somebody? And you were leaning up against the wall, and you had this big grin on your face. And I hadn't seen you in a minute because you'd been hiding out doing this, right? And the yeah. way you told me, man, I got something else about the drop. And the, and I and I you, you didn't hear that very often. I don't think right? I said any Even, more than that. E, no, you didn't. Yeah. Even from you, right? You know what I mean. <laughs> that was I could tell that was uh, for you. Yeah, big. So I'll, that, I'll that tell you. Coming. I'll tell you who the very first person was who knew that we had something on Kilpatrick. It was a guy named Mel Lenhart who was helping coach a squirt hockey team that our kids were playing on. And he and I were in the corner along the boards, and uh, we were running a practice. And he said, hey, I ran into Bernard Kilpatrick the other day, and he seemed like a really cool guy. And, you know, and I said, and there might be something coming out about that. And that's all I you, said. You did, you might, and, and months I, you, later, you the did whole mention, thing came out. You did mention Kilpatrick because oh. you and I had to, had to, I had to help you with a profile of him like the year before or whatever. Wait, no, because he, he wouldn't help? talk to me during the election. Right. Yeah, I had to help him with a profile because Shocked. of that or whatever. And the and, way Mike was talking about and what remember, he was And remember, he wouldn't to talk lo- to Sean because Sean had written a profile of Steve Wilson, so they thought, oh, Sean's in the That's bag right. for That's Steve right. Wilson. That's true, yeah. We won't talk to Elric because he's out to get us, which wasn't true. So we sent Will- Sean over there because he's a good writer, does great profiles, and he said, well, we won't talk to him because he's in the bag for Steve Wilson, so basically, screw you. It's like, well... Boy, we're trying hard to get your side up. Sorry, go ahead. No, but I remember when we were trying to work on that, you were kind of hinting that there were things you guys were learning. So I think you did tell me it was about Kilpatrick because we had had that that yeah, history working on that. We so. were we were in a difficult position where we knew there were some things that were being said on the record by city officials that were not true, but we couldn't tell people why we knew they were not true. And we still, I don't think we're ready to publish. So what we were trying to do as best we could was keep – false things from being published in the free press without being able to explain how we knew they were false. Right. So that was kind of, but, but the day that was starting to break, I think people sensed that something was coming and, and then we got a call from, uh, from some friends um, at that, who said that Fox two was getting ready to publish that Kilpatrick had bought off some jurors at state police were investigating whether the mayor had bribed some jurors. And so Jim and I are trying to button up our story 
and we're trying to now figure out whether there's another story out there. And then we're also thinking, wait a minute, if he bought off some jurors and he got convicted, that doesn't make any sense. And mm-hmm. Rochelle Riley sent a little typed out note town to the editors who passed along to us and said, there's a big story breaking on Kilpatrick. And we're like, I know we're breaking it. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's coming from someplace else. And so the phones do start ringing. You do start getting buried with, with messages, voicemails, emails from people saying, what's going on? Are you guys ready to pop it? And we found out later that one reason why some of this buzz was happening is because the publisher of the Free Press at the time had given a heads up to some business leaders and the governor, Governor Granholm at the time, saying, you know, something big involving the mayor is coming in the free press tomorrow. I just wanted to let you know. And so then that was leaking out through them and the telephone game was happening till it had been transmogrified into this big crazy thing. So at the same time, we're trying to finish the story because some of it's leaked out and been transformed. Now we're trying to make sure that other people don't have a better story than our story, but it was really just our story that had been... So yeah, so there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens like that. And back when the Anchor Bar was still the place to go for reporters and editors and photographers and copy editors and circulation people and advertising people and all the good people who work in the newspaper business, after a big story hits or before the last edition runs... You know it because people have a sense of relief. There's a sense of elation. Um, and there was one time we were there with a guy from the Detroit News. And uh, we we uh, were working on a story that he was working on. We were competing on it. And he went to the bar with us, and he was sitting there saying, uh, so what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And we said, uh, I don't know. What do you got? What do you got? <laughs> and then he, he told us what he had, and we said, we already got that. And he's like, completely deflate. Well, of course we didn't. We just wanted to screw with him and say, okay, you beat us on that one, but we're not going to let you have a good night. We'll let you wait till the free press comes out at midnight. And then you can say, okay, I did get these guys, but it, it, you know, that used to happen a lot more when we could all come together. And when we weren't all laid off because everybody thinks news is free when it sure as hell is not free. So Kendall asked some other questions about, wow, that is a long story, but quite well told. Indeed. So uh, she asked about some other crazy journalism things, so maybe we'll pick that up on a future show because I know we're going very long. And Ariana adds, Dear ML, we love your podcast, and we're so happy to hear you're running for city council. Does yesterday's news that the state is losing another congressperson signals Detroit census count predicted to release in four weeks is going to be another six-figure loss from 2010 to 2020? I don't think it'll be six figures. It'll probably be five figures. Seems bulk of state's losses concentrate in Wayne County. I'm so bummed that we can't reverse the tide and brain drain. All the articles detail it's been precipitous since 1980. Along with census and congressional loss news, it broke that Apple is building a $1 billion campus in North Carolina, over 3,000 six-figure white-collar tech jobs. Meanwhile, our projects never seem to come to fruition, such as District Detroit, Hudson Skyscraper, U of M Innovation Center, and I think there's something to that. The skyscraper is going up. I think U of M probably will follow through, and eventually we will have some version of the District Detroit. Why does it always take so long here, though? Well, it, it, it does. T- well, I mean, if you've been reading some of the headlines in the free press and news, you'll find out that construction costs are going through the roof. Yeah, you'll but other find cities out get it's it hard done. to find people to do the work. They do, but I, I just want to, to not be the glass half empty guy. But the Ford train station is moving forward. Quicken did move to downtown. The stadiums and arenas were built. Wayne State's campus has been transformed over the last 20 years into an amazing place. Tech Town, 
has been created and is a thriving incubator for businesses and technology and is helping Detroit and Michigan get ahead of the rest of the, the country. And one of the things that is reported on occasion that people seem to miss is that we are becoming a IT hub, that we are having these high-tech jobs come to Detroit. And at the same time, we also have the blue-collar jobs coming back. We have the manufacturing at Detroit Bikes. We have the Stellantis plant, the old FCA, the old Chrysler plant, going up uh, right next to my district on the east side. And there are a lot of good things going on. So please, let's not just look across the rest of the world and say we wish we had it because we have a lot that we can be excited about and proud about. And yeah, guess what else we missed out on? The Foxconn plant in Wisconsin. How's that working out? It's not. So let's be grateful for what we have and try and get some more. I'm not saying that we're the best place and we got everything we ever wanted. I'm just saying, don't feel like everybody's poor cousin. So let's uh, let's have it. We got and let's go get some more. But uh, we got nobody to apologize to, nothing to bend our knee for, and uh, I'd rather be here than North Carolina any friggin' yeah, day. Pr- pretty good plan. I mean, look at the last ten years of Detroit. You can't look at how how the city has changed over the last ten years and say nothing's happened. I mean, it's been unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. I left downtown Detroit in 2012 to go out to Fox. Uh, after four o'clock, nothing was going on. The whole time I was working out of Southfield, Detroit was buzzing. I come back to the free press pandemic. Nothing's I'm not saying that I chased everybody out of downtown, but I mean, Detroit and, and Michigan, there's a lot of really good things going on. And Zach, for being part of that, we really appreciate it. I don't see no bikes being built in Raleigh, even though there is a bike called a Raleigh or a rally. Depends where you're from. Um, Thad G tweets, for the record, Sean's a great part of the show. And Broadchurch is a fantastic TV series. It is. Mark, any voicemails? It is. No. Has has, has Drew come down to say, what the hell are you guys still doing down there? Okay, I was going to give you a campaign update and a shameless appeal for donations. Um, but we don't really need to do that. But if you want to know more about the campaign, go to ml4detroit.com. I would really appreciate it if you would please go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and like, follow, and subscribe to the handle ml4detroit.com. Later this week, we will be launching our 5 for 4 campaign where we encourage people to make small donations to help us bring honest change to City Hall and get a problem solver coming out of District 4. Uh, I think you know who he is. Who would is. that be? Uh, I'll just leave it to people to figure out. I was going to talk a little bit about the Crown and Morrissey, but we already kind of did that before Sean uh, went off his meds in room 7609. <laughs> and uh, I do want to say a farewell to my friend Dave Clegg, um, who uh, passed away after a courageous battle against cancer. Uh, who's Dave Clegg, you say? Well, if you looked at the Macomb Daily, you could see the obituary I wrote for Dave. But the reason why I mention him to people who don't know him is because, not because he's been an inspiration to me, although that is important, certainly to me. Dave died at 71. But up until his 69th birthday, when he was diagnosed with the, just an absolutely pernicious uh, form of cancer, Dave was playing softball. He ran like a gazelle. He had an arm, the second best arm I've seen, Leduff having the best arm I've ever seen in the outfield. He was active. He was a mountain biker. He was a physical therapist who sold his practice, devoted his time to his wife and his dogs. 
he was a guy who up until he was struck by something that ultimately he could not overcome was in the game. And as a guy who's 53, who loves to be active and who loves to do things, I would look at Dave and I would say, if Dave is still doing it at 69, I can still do it at 69 and that we can all get out there and do things and we can all be as involved and as active as we want to be. And so Dave is gone, but I want to encourage everybody out there who's been sitting on their ass to get out there and do something because you can and you should. And the only reason why Dave isn't doing it at 71 is because he's gone. But uh, I was hoping to watch him continue to do stuff at 99 so that when I was 83, I could say I got 16 more years to catch up to Dave. So, uh, you know, if you have some sort of physical malady and you're not able to be literally in the game, there are other things you can do to be dynamic, to be active, to be a participant in other people's lives. And so who's Dave Clegg? Um, you don't need to know who Dave Clegg is. Who Dave Clegg is, is an idea. He's an example. He's somebody for us to be inspired by. So I would encourage everybody to find a Dave Clegg and to know that it's not over for you and you can keep going until you can't. And, uh, and, um, you're here. That's that. Uh, Red Shovel Network kicks ass. Listen to LaDuff. Listen to Drew. Keep listening to us. Buy our shit. Stay in the game. (laughs) And Cyrus, take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Don't worry, we got your back. We're only seven blocks away, so if anything goes down... Seven blocks? Okay, you got me. About 20 blocks. Get ready for the best action. Just do exactly as I say. I'm a virgin. Not for long. ML and his team will rid the world of evil once and for all. I cannot wait to cut off your d- and shove it in your mouth. The soul of Detroit. Coming to save the world May 21st. Where have you been? I just took an upper decker in the master bathroom. Upper decker? Guess where you take a number two in the water tank and not in the bowl. You look great.